You're listening to Paint the Town Podcast with your hosts. LA Street Art Gallery resident artist, teacher, and founder of LA Street Art Gallery, James Chen of Hit the Town Podcast, episode 99, baby. How you doing, bro? 99? Yeah. Yeah, one more, man. <laughs> what are we going to plan for? Up in the, uh, I have my shirt up in the camera because uh, this is a, a shirt that my buddy uh, Scott with uh, Loud Labs, uh, Scott and Todd, actually, Todd Bettis with uh, Loud Labs, we did. It was a, a photo that, um, that Scott took when I was up on the billboard doing this uh, the 101 billboard in uh, Echo Park that says, all you need is the right kind of love. Now, nice. if you're watching this, I'm going to circle. That's me right there. Oh, kind of hidden. Yeah, I know. But that's me right there. I the, uh, got that shot off before I get off the billboard there. But uh, anyway, nice. I just... I dig that. that out there. Um, dude, I had an epic, uh, epic day today, man. Um, I... Uh, Went down and picked up my piece from the uh, Oceanside uh, Museum of Art, uh, okay. the, uh, the, the koala bear, and um, actually got up early this morning and went down and um, hit trestles. Uh, it's a it's a, a surf spot, um, world famous surf spot. Uh, there's like uppers and lowers, and I went to lowers because well, dude, there's about 300 people out, oh geez, or more. I mean, just in this one small area. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, and the parking, I got there at 6.30, dude, I got there at 6.30 in the morning. And the parking, there's a parking lot. It was already full. It's a good-sized parking lot, already full. And uh, all the street parking around it was completely full, except for one spot. And I was turning around to get it, and this little son of a bitch pulled up right before I got it, man. So... <laughs> I, I like actually I hate when that let, let out a little yell. He didn't hear it. Nobody heard it. I heard it. I was like, oh, it's 6.30 in the morning. I figured, you know, maybe the parking lot's almost all full. But, dude, that was uh, – but you know what? Hey, Trestles, this is my first time, maybe the only time, probably the only time because, dude, after that, uh, I mean, it's a – once you park there, um, it's about a mile walk from there. Jeez, down man, that's commitment, man. Down to where the water is. You're waking and, up, um, getting there at 6.30. You're going out into the water. No, I got up at 5 to get down there at 6.30, <laughs> okay? So <laughs> they, have wa- they have rocks, you know, where you're going out into the water. The rocks are probably about maybe 10 inches in diameter, some 12 inches, some a little bit bigger, some a little bit smaller. So you have to – it's kind of a precarious walking situation. You're kind of slipping in, you know, sliding a little bit. Um, and so I'm – I go out and um, I knew I was only going to get like maybe one or two waves just because it was so crowded. And dude, right before I went out, I saw the most sketchiest uh, surf situation I've ever seen. Like someone mm-hmm. going after somebody else. Um, first of all, it was like five guys for every, every wave, man. Um, but then there was this one, there was a beautiful wave and this guy took off and just dropped it on this guy's wave. And Granted, that dude shouldn't have done that, and he deserves some kind of repercussion. But I, I've seen people like kick their board off and everything, they, but not 
necessarily at someone. You know what I mean? Yeah. And this dude, the way he kicked it off, it went up towards this guy's head, and it must have missed his head by like inches. Jeez. Because I thought I was waiting to see the guy's head torque from the the board hitting it. And dude, you hit someone in the right spot with a You're surfboard dead, going that fast, that'll fucking kill him. Yeah. That'll yeah, kill yeah. you. Um and Jesus. I saw that, and there's a dude standing right next to me on the beach, and I looked over at him, and I was like, whoa, and he goes, that was sketchy. I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm going to stay away from there, man. I'm going to go down the way a little bit here, you know what I mean? And the reason why it was so uh, crowded was because it's been a long time since there's been a good, some good surf. Mm. So everybody's out there, and in that situation, dude, you just you can't be taking anyone's waves. Um, and, uh, you know, actually uh, – you know, just to be on the safe side, um, I did take my little pocket knife with me because a dude did try to drop in on one of my waves. And so I was just like, I showed it to him and I reached over at him with it. And I was like, don't make me poke you. <laughs> so he dropped off and I, and I went ahead and dropped in. Um, but, uh, you know, caught four waves. And then after that fourth wave, um, you know, after the third wave, actually, after the third wave, I went back out and there were some little bait fish jumping around me. Yeah. And <laughs> it kind of reminded me several years ago when I got bit by a shark, um, same type of situation. And Trestles is actually story. known, Trestles is known for having sharks out there. And so I just went ahead and caught the next wave in just because I, I, I was thrilled that I got already got three waves. I had three good waves. I was really happy. I was like, you know what, let me just, get out of here because you know i'm seeing these little bait fish around me reminded me when i got bit before i'm already thinking about this let me just get the hell out of here but uh <laughs> dude i don't understand you guys man you get up early in the morning i think i went to sleep at like five last 4 30 last night working on music and stuff you're getting up at five <laughs> carrying a fucking surfboard dude yeah oh i got still got salt all in my eyes <laughs> killing me Hey, well, you know what, dude? I wanted to talk to you about a documentary I saw this weekend, actually. I mean, um, I saw this one. It's called, I saw a lot of, like, other street artists were, like, looking at it, actually. And um, uh, What's it called? It's called Banksy and the Rise of Outlaw Art. At first, I was just like, oh, God, another Banksy fucking documentary, dude. Y you know, I mean. I, <laughs> I, you, you I know, wasn't was my... thinking that at all. <clears throat> <laughs> So just like, you, know, you know what it's, it's funny it's like uh it's the banksy's like the fucking beatles you know what i mean they're like he's like the most congratulated like street artist like uh ever you, you know what i mean but but rightfully deserved honestly afterwards I, you know it's it's funny i was looking at it people also go after him like a motherfucker sometimes too though it's so a graffiti a lot of people are just man. as just yeah. as vicious as they are complimentary <laughs> yeah you know we forget that you know on the show everybody's all cool and peaceful with each other and we hang out and we have laughs you know what i mean but you gotta understand like just like when we were talking with savior El Mundo last week man the graffiti scene is like a mean game man it, you know <clears throat> but the cool thing is like um it doesn't just map uh banksy's career actually it actually talks about kind of like the rise of quote-unquote outlaw art you know so it actually goes and interviews like his uh photographer steve lazderis and also it um it talks to like Ben Nine, and it actually has our buddy Risk in there, and um, oh, wow. you know, so I, I was just thinking it would be kind of cool if uh, you know I just showed the trailer because uh, you know we have another like legendary street artist today coming on as well too, right? 
You know, yeah, you I'm not get... gonna fanboy at all. You know what I mean? I'm gonna be fine. I'm gonna be fine. Been meditating about this for all week. So <laughs> awesome, awesome. So I, I figure, you know, as we're waiting for our guests to come in um, uh, today, basically, uh, I, I just kind of show you this trailer, and uh, hopefully, the sound will work too. You know, I'm or else I'll I'll edit it back in like I usually do, and it looks all all seamless. So um, let me go ahead and share that. Screen. Thanks for doing that editing because you know if it was up to me, it just Oh, no happen. worries, man. No yeah. worries. I saw I saw your computer on sale on eBay too, man. So <laughs> you know, what? Yeah, man. Uh, I, somebody's selling one of your art pieces. Uh, oh your wait, old you mean the old the, the old white one, the old white yeah. Apple computer that I sprayed Bukowski on. Yeah, yeah. I saw it on eBay, man. That's why I was like, hey, dude. I know you don't have a laptop besides <laughs> one uh, your iPad, dude. So don't worry, man. Let me take care of the editing, man. But uh. Oh, here's the uh here's here let me let me hope that the sound will turn on dude let me uh let me try this let's take a look i consider it to be a victimless crime what i do generally but the criminal side of it is important any piece of graffiti is saying that you're not going to be told what to do necessarily, that you'll go out under your own steam and you'll make the city look the way you want it to look. Graffiti is an art form, I would describe it as dynamic, explosive, unpredictable. Some people say graffiti ruined my life and some people say, you know, graffiti saved my life. The adrenaline is pumping the minute you start planning this elaborate crime. All the best movements have come out of poverty, have come out of a struggle, have come out of people being hungry and thirsty for something. Making the street art movement work has largely been Banksy. He's an outsider, he's a maverick. Banksy truly believed that this is an art movement. We set up our own printing presses, we set up our own galleries. He just had this great vision to show people that art could be viewed in a different way. He became this sort of hybrid street artist, social activist, ad hacker, graffiti guy, all into one. As an artist, it's like, what is the goal at the end? If the goal at the end is, I really want to change the world. Like, I want to deal with these bigger, headier concepts, and that's where Banksy changed the game. We had no idea what we were doing. We just made it up. <laughs> and selling for 860000 That's some good editing, man. But uh, the cool thing is, it just really reminded kind of me of like uh, when I first started getting turned on to street art, <clears throat> you know. And it reminded me that, dude, I got to study kind of like the history of uh, all these previous street artists that came before Banksy, actually. That's what I kind of liked about this documentary. It actually connected like how the underground rave scene 
um, is deeply connected to the uh, the street art graffiti scene, you, you know? And then I realized I'm like, that's like the show, man, basically, you, you know what I mean? Underground cultures, they kind of come together. And then uh, I think that's why this podcast works, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? We well, under- you know, a lot of that, uh, a lot of the underground culture, they need to advertise, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you want to have a nice advertising, you got to have a nice artist, you know, a good artist. And uh, you can have an artist that is going to go get it up in a, you know, a cool spot for you, you know, boom, all of a sudden you just combine uh, both worlds. Yeah, definitely, man. So I see both of our guests in the, the waiting room now already, man. So uh, you want to give a little introduction, man? I mean, we've had Professor Jim on. Actually, we've had both of them on uh, before, but um, for our 99th episode, uh, go ahead, Deech. we got the none other than Bobby Kono. Um, I got you don't it. know who he is. You, you get to be yeah, yeah. Right, right as I'm doing that, I get a call. Um, you need to start following him now. He is uh, the OG of OGs. Um, he a uh, ton of political uh, graffiti. Uh, he does these massive uh, pasting parties that he'll do a piece and he'll get together and there'll be thousands of guys that will get the same image on a paper and they'll paste them all over LA. Um, might talk about that a little bit but uh he's uh one of the few people that i fanboy to <laughs> you know what i mean this guy is just um he's all effort you know and uh of course jim uh jim dyshen the uh, professor of uh street art um you know uh don't want to don't want to forget him that's uh you know that is basically um you know he's the professor of street art he, he's uh, Someone keeps calling me, man. Um, no I'm going to turn my phone off. because. Uh, yeah, basically, they got a new book coming out. It's uh, together. It's called, uh, um, and actually, Shepard Ferry wrote the um, the forward, too. It's called Robbie Connell, A Streetwise, 35 Years of uh, Politically Charged Guerrilla Art. So uh, today, I'm real happy and uh, excited to uh, have such an OG of OGs in today, man. So let's Too go awesome. ahead. Two OGs at the same time, man. Put on your red shoes and dance the blues. Let's dance to the song we're playing on the radio. Welcome, Robbie and Professor Jim. How you doing? Hey, how's it going? Hey, that worked there out pretty are. smooth, actually, guys. Can you guys hear yeah, us okay? I can hear you great. So awesome. Seamless. It was seamless. Can we hear Robbie? Does Robbie, Robbie have anything to say? That's more the, to the point. <laughs> I love this it, man. Be yeah. This is our 99th episode, guys. So, uh, we basically wanted to have a real special guest, uh, you know, we couldn't think of any better, uh, than, than you guys, man. Cause, uh, I think we we're going gonna... <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. That's who we're fighting for. Exactly. Well, man, I'm so happy to have you guys on. Cause, uh, uh, especially, you know, today we just had a major announcement in the, um, political, um, uh, area. We just uh, announced that uh, Joe Biden picked uh, Kamala Harris 
as uh, their VP. I just wanted to know is that how you guys thoughts on that, guys? Robbie, you first, please. I'm very pleased. Uh, my wife and I, Debbie, uh, were whooping it up uh, in the living room uh, this early afternoon when the news came in. Uh, I think she's uh, the best chance of winning choice uh, of uh, all the women who uh, were up for the job. And uh, I actually have a Kamala Harris, Harris story for you guys, which I'll tell you. Oh, I love uh, that. When appropriate. Okay. <laughs> we're, you know, we're, we're Californians and Angelinos and all that. Um, and uh, also she's from Oakland and I spent lots of time, way too much time in Oakland. Um, so, so uh, you know what, Robbie, let's, uh, let's, let's kind of, uh, um, last time when you sat with us, <clears throat> we kind of just got a real quick preview because we were actually at the Oceanside Museum of Art, which was, uh, to me, one of the best street yeah. art kind of like showings I've ever been to. I didn't like, uh, I actually, well, you thank Jim for that. <laughs> say that again. We all thank Jim for that. Yeah. We yeah. Absolutely. Definitely. I think. Uh, what a coincidence because teacher just went and picked up his piece from the museum, you know what I mean? And uh, today and uh, how I feel was like, wow, you know, a conservative place like Oceanside. I mean, all of San Diego, that was like kind of like a first street art showing uh, kind of like uh, to the area. And it was packed, man. So, Jim, I mean, tell us, you know, what you remember from that night, man. Well, these were the pre-COVID days. We were probably spreading it around like crazy. But the, we broke all attendance records for the museum that day. And I think it just proved the type of art that folks are interested in. I mean, it's just, it brings in uh, different ethnicities, different age groups. Uh, you, know, it, it, you know, the work of street art just seems to cross all kinds of borders because it reaches outside our typical gallery and museum system. And it's, it's nothing that I've done. It's, it's stuff that folks like Robbie and Teacher have done for decades to build these audiences. So it's just, it's just a matter of opening up those gates and you know, allowing access to the, the doors of places like museums and getting folks to understand. And once you do, it's crazy. It's amazing how popular it is. And, and then the outpouring of emotion of people just, we haven't seen this kind of work in North County or in San Diego or you know, in Oceanside. That's it, lovely to see. And it always makes you feel like, wow, okay, we're, we're doing something great. Plus, there was all these wonderful political undertones within the whole show, which, which yeah. is very, very difficult. But then we're still, we're still okay with that, which is great. That was that was the most work of Robbie's I've seen in one place, and just that alone, his work alone, was worth going down there and, and seeing the whole thing. Um, I was I was really appreciative of being able to see those things in person, and. Um, Dude, that was that was that was my favorite part. I'm just I'm so impressed. And what I'm gonna say that Jim did not say because he's really nice is to be able to get that many street artists work together from them in that you know on time and everything. Um, that in itself is an amazing feat. So thank you so much for that. And just just right quick, tell us uh, your thoughts on on Kamala Harris. Oh my gosh, this is history in the making, isn't it? I mean, we're breaking glass ceilings, and it's just wonderful to see. I can't. I'm overjoyed and enthusiastic and hopeful. That's, I'm going to say I'm hopeful because there's a lot that still has to happen. Uh, but yeah, these are, it's a, these are historic days. 
historic days. I'm 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 curious if Robbie would come in. Hey, hey, Jim. Yeah. Breaking the stained glass ceiling. That's true. <laughs> that's true. I sense one play there. I like that. Very well said, Robbie. Absolutely correct on that one. Back to say something about Jim Can I say something about Jim Show at Oceanside? Yes, yes sir. Please. So Shepard and Perry and I have this saying that we, you know, like bat back and forth uh, between the street and art galleries, you know, in the art, you know, like the art world. And that is uh, when you bring street art inside, the street comes with them, with it. And so we knew that if Jim could, put, could herd cats and, and get all those crazy cats together, inside somewhere the street would follow and it was amazing there's like over a thousand people there man you know like yeah. uh, i couldn't even see myself oh and, there, I and have to wear, Debbie that's the, you know what i think button. the only reason why we had a chance of getting you to come over and talk to us robbie was because of that i just the, the look that i saw on your face was you were just surrounded by a bunch of people okay and you just got through talking to them you just you just got through talking to a bunch of people and they were just walking away and i was walking by at that moment you're just like you know just looking at all the people and so i snuck in i snuck in and i was like hey robbie you want to come over here for like 10 minutes and you're like yeah <laughs> get me out of this for a second let just me for a second you. yeah <laughs> there were so many people there that's awesome yeah, i'm sorry guys. That's, all, that's all on jim man but i also jim you know like as far as north county like uh like san diego county like I had never seen a bunch of that those artists who are from there, yeah. and uh, you know, like that was a great revelation to me. Like these guys are cool. Yeah, they and, are cool. And you know, they're serious. They're not fooling around. So yeah. uh, that's a novel way for me to meet other artists. I'll tell you. Usually, I meet them on the street in the middle of the night, and they're <laughs> yelling at me. I went over the shit. Yeah. So this <laughs> It's true. It's a different context, but it's always nice to meet the local folks. I like uh, to me when I moved to San Diego, it was that's something I wanted to invest in this community. And when you have regional museums, it's nice to pull from all of California or nationally or even internationally, but also honor those local folks too. It's a great conversation to have. Yeah, yeah I got a question for you. You have children, right? Uh, how old are they? I have three. I've got one that's uh, turning 21. I got a 16 year old and a 13 year old. Wow. Um, Bobby, do you have any kids? figured out what was causing it and cut it off, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, that was it. <laughs> Robbie, do you, Robbie I, do you have any kids? I have cats. Nice. I'm, smart. I'm one of his. a smart man. It's a smart man, Jim. Students and next guerrilla volunteers who are uh, pop up everywhere. Like when I'm online at the grocery store and I get a tap on the back of my shoulder and <laughs> Robbie, right? Yeah, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. I, I will say, after spending, after spending so much time with Robbie for the last three or four years, I feel like an honorary child. So I think he's adopted. <laughs> Definitely. That's awesome. Yeah, hey, anyone that throws a pasting party like uh, like Robbie does, um, you know what I mean? You're, you're like a godfather. You're like a godfather, and godfathers have thousands of kids. So... Uh, <laughs> Real quick, because of uh, technology, I'm able to, normally we do this in the studio, guys. Um, be, because of COVID, we've been doing it over Zoom, actually. But uh, what's cool about this is we actually have the technology to kind of like watch some videos and kind of like talk. So uh, 
Uh, I pulled up kind of like the exhibit because last time we didn't actually show anything on the podcast. It was just the audio, you know. So uh, who's this lovely lady over here? Is she from the Oceanside Museum, Jim? No, this is somebody from Visit Oceanside. So they did this little teaser for the city of Oceanside. They came and they wanted to do a quick walkthrough of the exhibit. And, and this is part of performing, right? It's the <laughs> performance aspect of exhibits and just like when you sell an exhibit, oh, wow, look at well, that Well, no, face. definitely. I mean, the thing is, like, Jim, you look really credible, first of all, you know, like a professor. And then inside, yeah. uh, what's cool is, like, we have this walkthrough, and so many of these people have been on our uh, podcast, too. We got the, the uh, Cocaine Plastic Jesus uh, mirror, the life-size one, Kai over there. Uh, well, you there's know. my piece right over there. there. There's a teacher's there. piece right there, too, I think. You, you know, so, Vial in the back, turn too. Turn around Every so we can see Robbie's work. All you got to do is turn around, turn yeah. around, and... Uh, we're watching this uh okay, you, camera. You, could, you, could, you could see jim saying that for 1999 you can have this but wait there's more that's right <laughs> oh my gosh it's terrible looking at yourself like this this is awful <laughs> so yeah there you go i just wanted to pull that up before we get too far away from the uh the actual museum exhibit but yeah man i had a great time there it was such classy people too a lot of times you know what i mean street art shows like you said we bring the street you know what i mean you never you never know what kind of people are going to show up and i'm telling you man there's a lot of classy people that had a guest list and everything that you know they almost didn't let us in a few times back because we are because we were doing the podcast and our, our names weren't on the list remember that teach <laughs> oh, they're like oh, look at these riff raff man for teacher it's like james who's this guy? Uh, so they, the lines the lines were so long and the computer systems got overwhelmed the whole place shut down all the computer oh, no. systems and they lost all the lists and they look back, they're like, what should we do? Like, just let them in. And that's when, like, those lines that went around the block of the museum, all of a sudden they just, <laughs> the mass just, it was already crowded. There wasn't any place to go. Then these masses come in. These people are like, I didn't know there was a museum in Oceanside, but <laughs> I went down, down the street and they're like, what's this long line? Oh my gosh, that's a museum. <laughs> you must have loved that. Yeah, there was a party. It was a party. Yeah, but- that's what you get when you uh, bring street art in the street streams in with it you just can't stop it and, definitely uh, street art is unstoppable anyway so uh, yeah. there you go put it anywhere <laughs> the street will come you know i love that uh, robbie i got a question for you that i didn't i didn't get to ask you in our in our first interview because it was so quick and i, I mainly just sat there like this like a fanboy the first time because it was i, I just couldn't believe we had you over there but um when was the first time that you actually put up um, something in the streets, uh, you know, politically graffiti or whatever? What was it? What was on it? It was September 1986, and it was a pathetic little black and white poster of Ronald Reagan and three of uh, uh, the guys in his cabinet called Men with, there it is, Men with No Lips. Companion <laughs> with Feet. Jim's using the old yeah, school wow. method. I was about to pull it up uh, uh, through the internet, oh, but no, that, that, that works better. That works way better, actually. He's got the book. He, he wrote the book about Robbie, so it, it works out really well. Yeah. Awesome. Put yeah where did you put that up? What what city were you in? I was in L.A. Uh, actually, uh, the first time we I put it up, I, it was kind of like a Tom Sawyer, Huck Finn kind of thing, where I talked my best 
into coming out in the middle of the night with me, you know, like saying, you're going to love this. You're going to be really good at this. It's only a little bit illegal, like being a little bit pregnant. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you know, you're going to be great at it. And uh, we started in Venice and then worked our way all the way downtown to surround uh, MOCA, the Museum of Contemporary Art. Uh, and uh, so Men With No List was the first, and then Women With Teeth, uh, which was Nancy Reagan and, and three other, uh, you know, smiling women, <laughs> teeth gnashing women. And, uh, and then Oliver North uh, and Iran-Contra kicked in. So I was off and running. There he is. And actually, oh. I did a triptych. I did a triptych of hear, see, speak, and it was uh, uh, Ronald Reagan was here. He didn't hear anything and wasn't listening. And uh, John Poindexter, who was Oliver North's boss, um, and uh, actually has a, a PhD in nuclear physics of all things, uh, but he's still somewhere in sub some sub basement in Washington D.C. collecting information on everybody. Oh, and wow. Oliver North, who was became the head of uh, the NRA, our famous, which is doing really well these days, as you know, since it's being sued. <laughs> well, they're about, to, to uh, they're about to get disbanded. Actually, this is another thing I want to bring up um, tonight, but just right quick, the uh, that night that you went out, um, the first time or whatever, and you started in Venice and worked your way downtown, approximately how many pieces would you say you put up between start and finish that night? That, that night. That night. Maybe 60. <laughs> there you go. That's nothing. That's awesome. That's pathetic. But hey, I'm going to swing it. But after, after, you know, like the one thing that totally surprised me, I mean, you know, um, I knew I could talk some of my friends who were artists and had nothing to do and I didn't have jobs anyway or anything. Um, you know, to come out with me and make some mischief, you know, about things that we really cared about. But I, I never really expected uh, to have so many guerrilla volunteers, of, you know, and such a range, you know, like of ages, professions, genders, everything. Um, that surprised me. Uh, so many people were willing to do some mischief for a good cause. And they were kind of like, even yeah. that surface lust scared me, you know, like, because they, they would get crazy out there, man. I try to tell them, you know, like, be careful. You only got, like, you know, a few minutes before, woo, 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 party lights. And, uh, nice. But once they got out there, you asked Jim, he came out with me. He got a little bit of the fever, I think. I've done it a few um, Nice. Yeah, he's done it a few and, and I think you brought some of your unfortunate students along with you, uh, yeah, that's, I'm not mistaken. Actually, I brought one of my graduate students and my brother-in-law. The first time I went out, we did the Mitch McConnell poster uh, when we met at Cantor's, and that yeah. was like cool. the best beginning of the book. And then you and I, when we finished the book, I, I came to your house, stayed at your house, and before he, Robbie dropped me off at the train station, the two of us went out together, which was nice. really nice. We had to do a little nice. something on the way to the train station. We, up in the central coast in Los Osos. Yeah. Uh, no wonder you're saying he adopted you. Really yes. <laughs> That's right. Hey, how great is that? Robbie's driving, the two of us are driving around and we're just putting up his posters. Okay, so I'm, I'm curious now. You, you said you took like one friend out with you the first time that you went out, right, Robbie? 
Okay. So the yeah. the next time or how many more times was it before there was like, you know, more than just like one or two? How many was like the first mob? I think it was by uh, by the third poster, uh, the speak poster. We had about twelve to fifteen people, but then the real breakthrough was was uh, contradiction. The Ronald Reagan. Uh, poster with the yellow background. Um, we had about 50 people then, and we would. That's when I moved everything to Cantor's Deli uh, in the center of LA, Fairfax, for our meetings. You know, and 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 there he is, and followed by Contra Cocaine, which is uh, all the skaters' favorite. You know, the story about. <laughs> I'm here the story for on me about Contra. <laughs> what Jim? I said, I'm just here for visual. <laughs> you're doing great work. You're, you're our Jim, you're the guy. best looking guy here, okay? So, thank you. Hey, real quick, you know, on this you show. Would, you see his buddy Chronic there? Back behind him? Yeah. yeah. That's no, Robbie, Robbie Cohen right there. Yeah. What's, the story, what's the story behind that, Robbie? Well, you know, I've been I've been doing this for a long time and uh, since '86, and so I spend a lot of time in my studio with people I really don't like, and I get a little grumpy. And uh, you know, about like you know, after a while, after a few years, uh, you know, late at night, like about two, three in the morning, I I can't take it anymore. I got to do something fun. I got to do something positive. And so I break out the skulls, which is the new happy face, of course. And, um, you know, we've got to get do some skullduggery here. Like, it's a, I'm a knucklehead. Like, this is making me a knucklehead. And, uh, so I get out all my crazy-ass ac acrylic paints with, like, you know, phosphorescent, fluorescent, glitter, everything, and go nuts. And then, of course, Jim and I love baseball. I'm an old Dodger fan from, like, Brooklyn Dodgers when I was six or seven years old, listening to Red Barber and Vin Scully on my Zenith radio and, oh, you know, wow. rooting for Jackie Robinson. So, uh, so I don't have a choice, you know, like Jim, <laughs> he's a Cal he's an Angels fan. He kind of moved into it. He, you know, like, uh, but, uh, so I'm, okay. I made that one for Jim. It's understandable. Know. We've right? got a it's, dog it's that says, oh, yeah, there oh. you go. That's me. There you, oh, you go. Dope and crossing. Awesome. That's the boy. Oh, no envy at all here. No envy going on at all here. Wow. That's awesome, man. That's, that's why we both are fans of those two teams. And when you know us or the collaboration we did, that's why those are two, two pictures are next to each other. So, Jim, you're not, a, you're not a Padres fan? I mean, I know you're kind of representing San Diego these days, right? Yeah. <laughs> you can only take so much losing. That's <laughs> <laughs> Padres are getting good. <laughs> yeah. getting good. I'm a Dodgers they've fan too. Manny, they have Tatis Jr. They're gonna be a uh, a contender. Yeah. You know, like uh, if they can keep. Now, they beat no. the Dodgers last night. That was pathetic. It was painful. <laughs> you know, it's funny about well, baseball. I'm a big Dodgers fan myself, Jim. Sorry. Um, I'm but a Dodgers you know fan what? too, so you're outnumbered here. You, you know what I mean? You, you being Look an you all the way. fan, I have such respect for you being a, a, the professor of street art and everything that I'm going to let that go. I'm going to let the fact that you're an Angels fan go, okay? 
I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna let you have that one because I have so much respect for you with everything else you do. Thank you. I but the painting does look good though. You gotta admit. Oh, it's awesome. I'm not envious <laughs> at all. You know, those two knuckleheads in that frame look really good. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> oh, it's easy being a Dodger fan. You know, like you gotta give Jim props for like he's gotta work hard with those Angels. Yeah. It hurt. Yeah. <laughs> when are they going to win the World Series? You know, who knows? But the Angels, when are they going to you know, break 500? But Rob, oh! Robbie, being an Angels fan and all the pain that I went through trained me well for doing this biography. Oh! It's a, <laughs> it's a roast. It's a, it's a painful exactly. roast. Yeah. Right. Exactly I got right. <laughs> Hey, real quick, can okay. I, real quick, can I ask you guys to both just, uh, just step forward a little bit closer to the mic, just so we, it kind of cuts out a little bit. I want to make sure uh, the audience is getting, yeah, awesome. Um, well, I remember from last time, man. I mean, um, Robbie, you're, you know, you're telling us that you're from New York, and obviously we can hear from the accent. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, we, we're accent. always talking. <laughs> well, what accent? <laughs> With my coffee, <laughs> right? <laughs> I got it right here. There you go. <laughs> well, <clears throat> you, you know, and one, of, <laughs> and one of the things we basically always, uh, we talked about on this show is kind of origin stories, you know. You did talk about kind of how you grew up in New York. Um, for the audience uh, that didn't get to catch that episode, you want to kind of go back and kind of just tell us, you know, what, what happened between um you know from when you were from new york basically to that fateful night when you started in uh september 1986 basically kind of just want to know a little bit of background about yourself that's a long story man how much time do we have <laughs> i don't have to be there's a book about it so that's you know there's a book about it jim <laughs> he's hot tonight man <laughs> well, i usually get high on this show actually so uh <laughs> <laughs> our audience, you know, we're kind of changing it up a little bit. <laughs> well, okay. So anyway, when I grew up, uh, both my parents were union organizers in New York, and they were communists. So there you got a little bit of uh, politics in there, just a tiny little bit. And just I grew a up on the upper left side of Manhattan, and they called the upper left side for obvious reasons. Uh, but also, like, when they realized that they had an artist and not the reincarnation of like a, a great union organizer or Eugene B. Debs or anything. They were pretty hip of them because uh, the progressive community like in New York in the 30s during the depression and after, uh, you know, all the way through the Red Scare, uh, uh, it was pretty tight. Like the, the, the activist politicos and the creatives, you know, like uh, people in the entertainment industry and in the arts. And so my parents, you know, dug art. And as soon as they got it that, oh, the kid, unfortunately, is an artist, um, they started dumping art on me. Goya, Domie, the great Mexican muralists, you know, Jose Guadalupe Posada, uh, the great uh, poster artist of the Spanish Civil War, um, all this stuff. Uh, and also they considered the major museum, they were very busy saving the world from capitalist greed, which is still something that is worthwhile trying to do. Um, and uh, so they, you know, some kids like, you know, you were in grade school or 
uh, in elementary school or junior high school or whatnot, you go to the park after school or you have your violin lessons or you skateboarding or whatever the heck you're doing. But my parents thought that the major museums in Manhattan, the Met, the Modern, the Guggenheim, the Whitney, were daycare centers for me. They would just send me. They were busy. You know, go. So I just seeped up all this art. This is like a little kid, you know, like eight years sure. old at the Met. I love, yeah. Look, look at that. So you know, I got a lot of that stuff, you know. I got a lot of that stuff. And then, of course, I went to art school all my life. And um, when I was really involved with abstract expressionism, because that's what was happening in New York and it's very emotional stuff. And uh, so my heroes were like uh, Willem de Kooning, Franz Klein, Arshul Gorky. And uh, when I moved to the Bay Area and became a hippie, like before I moved to the hate, before the hate was the hate, yeah. like in 1963, and, you know, got totally cosmic and like, oh, <laughs> wow. And I was, and so was, you know, the whole town pretty much. Um, and but, certainly the school was, but still, sure. you know, like art classes and all this stuff. Uh, uh, I, then when I got out, I actually got kicked out of San Francisco State for me well, and a hundred of my closest friends. Robbie, let's not get too far. I want to ask you a couple of questions before we go too much uh, from your childhood, actually. You mentioned, you said your parents were communists. There's another hundred years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's catchy, like, uh, I, I wanna, that's I, pretty catchy, huh? Yeah, no, I mean, I want to kind of go back because I'm sure, sure the audience is curious and we want to get deep into the story because, I mean, we've all read your Wikipedia. We're all going to read Jim's book. You know, I want to get some uh, uh, great uh, uh, information maybe that we can't. Is, is, my, is my sound okay? Yeah, yeah no, yeah. no. That, that's a good question, James, because the communists, but also you are blacklisted as well. And so that's interesting. I mean, there's a detail yeah. in there. Just real quick. I mean, for, for myself personally, um, you know, I'm Chinese, basically. So uh, uh, I have an interesting relationship whenever He's I... He's the one that brought the fucking virus over here. <laughs> okay, Trump, right here. Okay, Trump. <laughs> but anyways, okay, real quick. I'm just curious because this is... I mean, you're born in like 1944, basically, right? Um, from my understanding, you know. And during this time, I mean... This is right after uh, World War II, basically. Uh, uh, 1945, World War II ends, basically. I mean, um, and then right immediately the Cold War kind uh, of kind of starts, basically, right? So, um, so uh, you, you know, isn't that controversial? That um, you, I, I didn't want to just gloss over that real quick. You know, obviously this is some great content. You know, so I mean, it was it like being a communist for your parents was that a dangerous time. Say that again. Sorry. Was it like a dangerous yeah. time where they, because, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, it was dangerous. In fact, my father was blacklisted, uh, you know, by the house on American activities committee and was out of work for 10 years. Okay. Uh, and also the FBI, you're like, okay, so here's a story for you. I don't know if this is in the, is this the book, Jim, about me and the FBI? I the key for this story, but it's a good one. You should definitely go. <laughs> All right. So they were happy harassing my dad, you know, like J. Edgar Hoover was her and the FBI were after my dad. And so FBI, when I was a kid, like FBI agents would come to our front door in the morning, like weekday mornings. And it's like two, these two big guys, perfect, you know, like six feet tall, fedoras, trench coats, classic, 
like yeah, the yeah, guys in the time. matrix like the agents in the yeah, matrix yeah, kind like, of yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and and uh and they they'd ask every morning that like this for two weeks like every morning they'd say i'd answer the door and i had a script that my parents were ready for this and they said is your father home and i said no he's at work of course he wasn't at work because he didn't have any work because they had blacklisted him uh, and they said well is your mother home no she's at work and they said well you're going to school right and i said yeah they said we'll walk you to school uh, and i and it was a walk to ps 93 from uh from our that was on 93rd 92nd street and um our house was on 90th street so these guys would walk me to school every morning for two weeks and they would they were pretty sweet about it you know like i don't think this is what they signed up for as fbi agents but um you know they they would say you're hey you're the safest kid in the neighborhood because nobody's gonna jump you uh you have us you know which i did and uh, so that's and that's the kind of thing but yeah it was it was a uh, not an easy time not an easy time sure i mean you know during that period of time i always remember from just my own being a history buff like a lot of celebrities um a lot of hollywood types <clears throat> they were like communists you, you know what i mean and uh, j edgar hoover was doing a lot of uh uh j edgar hoover was basically spying on a lot of these people now um you know, how much of that, uh, your parents influence, I mean, influence your personal politics. Just curious. Um, cause today, cause today, cause today, I mean, saying you're a communist is still a very, uh, controversial statement. I would say, you know, you know what I mean? Well, I said my parents were communists and like, yeah. So I'm more of the democratic socialist type. I'm more of the AOC type. Um, I'm a fan. But I'm my a fan parents would have loved AOC. Yeah, they would have loved AOC. You know, that's their dream uh, candidate for the Bronx. You know, like that. That. That do. That'll do. And, I mean, you know, um, you know, it's funny. At, at first, AOC came out. Um, there was just, I don't know, the hipster in me. There's so much hype. I was like, I don't know. This, is she like legit? Is she really legit? You know what I mean? And there's so many videos of her, like, kind of <laughs> yeah. like going on I like like I said the hipster of me I was just like questioning you know but the more I seen her grow and kind of mature into her position I'm actually I'm like you know what I'm a fan actually you know to me and uh hang on uh oh he's around here somewhere oh sweet and just being a pick of a man I'm gonna say she's gorgeous too you know what I mean yes no, to me it's funny because they, they they make it seem like oh if if you like compliment her looks like that takes it away from her actual like a uh, a message and everything like that you know and uh, you no know, I'm just I don't saying think, no, oh, as long as you're respectful about it you know yeah <clears throat> totally you don't yeah. want to say I want to bang that you know and, oh wow there you go oh, man, that gorgeous is beautiful Robbie, I love that for those of you who are just listening uh, we're looking at a, a painting of AOC by Robbie Conal. And uh, the word across the bottom is promise. And uh, it is a beautiful, beautiful rendering. Um, I've told people before, you can tell if Robbie likes the person he's painting uh, <laughs> just by, you know, the, uh, the rendering that is done. Her skin, it looks like it's made of silk and it's just nice and smooth and the, the hair looks like it's silk. Um, 
And if he doesn't I like you, <laughs> then it turns ugly. Now, <laughs> <Down> boy. <laughs> but yeah, so here, the story about that is like, so I've been doing these bad guys, you know, like I always say, uh, so many bad guys, so little time, but it's actually so many bad guys, so much time, mm -hmm. uh, you know, like for 35 years. And Jim has all the posters in the book. Uh, but uh, my wife, Debbie, who's a great graphic designer and uh, movie title designer, uh, would get a little upset, you know, that I spent like hours and hours in the studio for years and years with all these bad people and I'd get grumpy, just like, you know, doing the knuckleheads wasn't enough. She said, well, how about you don't do any women, you know, like at least no wonderful women and there are lots of wonderful women. Come on, man, you know, like, uh, how much of a feminist are you? And uh, I'm as much of a feminist as you want me to be. Um, I mean, Smart man. sincerely. Yeah, yeah, which is not only politic of me, but true. And uh, mm -hmm. I love women and, I've, and there are lots of wonderful women. So she said, well, paint some motherfucker. You know, like, uh, <laughs> Amen. Uh, oh, okay, okay, honey. Yeah, you got a little honey-do list there, you know, so. Uh, I, can I did. I, I, I started painting. Um, I, I painted uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She's over here. And uh, I, then I, I painted Michelle Obama, AOC, and Greta, who's like almost a woman. <laughs> yes, we've seen that one. Definitely. That's, oh, been, uh, that's gone viral man. for sure. So beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So that's so, all. It, you know it, what, Rob, right. I heard the same thing from my wife because I was doing stencils of, uh, of Trump and um, I don't know, I've been like seven or eight stencils of him and, and like uh, Lindsey Graham and, and Donald Trump Jr. And, you know, all just these. And I was getting like this also. And it's almost the same thing as your wife said, you know, it's like, there's all these women, you know, you should you should do like something. And I'm like, OK, yeah. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. I love that idea, sweetie. And, uh, you know, she does. She's got some good ideas of, of, of women that I've, um, you know, and uh, it's, it's a smart thing to do, you know, especially if it's your wife. So we all know the, the, the driving right. creative force behind you guys. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. So real quick, I want to get back However, to... Uh, I'm sorry, Rob, go and say that again. However much you might wonder about Jim and, you know, his cuteness quotient and all that, you should see his wife. <laughs> she could just, she runs around him. Like, he's a real tall guy. She's little, but she is powerful, man. <laughs> Rachel could just run circles around the dude. Man, I'm the, only, I'm the only non-married guy here, man. I feel like uh, I'm not in the club, man. <laughs> you know what? Um, just to jump off subject right quick, uh, Jim, I wanted to ask you, um, you know, with the, with the virus going on and everything, what, um, what's it been like for your kids dealing with that pandemic? All sports canceled, all school canceled, we're home all the time. <laughs> I mean, it's just what it is. And as a professor, uh, you know, university is working from home, so it's, it's different. But you know, it's a it's a lot of time together. Uh, Robbie and I were just exchanging texts last night, like what what what's going on with the family, and 
we live in a in a mid-century inspired home it's very open so we spend a lot of time together and uh you know talking and watching things and you know that's that's the blessing i guess in all of it is just more time together as a family but yeah it's definitely been different we're not running anywhere we're not going places like we were before which there's nothing wrong with that it's uh, there's something nice about slowing life down a bit yeah definitely we've, we've been actually able to enjoy our kids uh as well and since my son kind of gets bullied at school a little bit because of his uh sensory processing disorder i don't mind having him around the house more you know what i mean mm -hmm. uh especially once he, until he gets much more stable, I don't mind having him around the house. Um, has the, uh, how old did you say your youngest uh, child is? 13. 13. Um, uh, scared from, I mean, any kind of fears going on from the? I don't think so. We don't really operate that way in terms out of fear. And so they don't see that. We certainly don't model it. We, we've talked about it and what it means and how to walk through it with the kids. And I, I realize that as a kid, you, not as comfortable sharing things but um no we're not we're not at that we're not at that point we're we're pretty active too we like exercise we like sports so i do all those things with the kids too, playing basketball games lifting weights and you know just trying you know prison workouts that kind of thing <laughs> <laughs> nice look dude i just can't imagine um, one thing that i love during this time is that uh you know like people at least for me, man, I, I don't have extra, you know, things to worry about like kids, you, you know, it actually helps me focus on my studio work and things like that. Right. So there's, you know, there's benefits, uh, you know, to not having kids too, right, Teach? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So uh, one more question, Jim. Um, what, just your own take on this, you know what I mean? Because we've had so many different takes from so many different experts. You know, Dr. Fauci is supposed to be the creme de la creme. Um, Dr. Burks has become kind of like a, I don't know, you know. Um, yeah, exactly. Robbie's giving me the so-so thing. Yeah, it's like, I don't know what the hell to believe from her at this point. Um, they got this new guy in there that they're um, uh, talking about. Is it Atlas, Dr. Atlas from, uh, from Stanford or something like that? Yeah, he got fired from there, okay? So... You know, I don't know what they're wanting us to respect from that guy, you know. Um, you know, what's your, what's your feeling on um, how we're going to deal with this? I mean, is this going to be um, something that just goes on forever? Like this is a new way of, of living, you know, like with masks? Uh, or, you know, do you think that um, eventually it'll go away? Yeah, so I, I guess my first impression, I mean, I'm – my first impression is I'm disappointed with how political it's become. You know, yeah, I agree. Depending on who you're engaging with, you can almost predict how they're going to react, whether they want to wear a mask or not. And that depends on what political affiliation they are. And then on down the line. And so we'll engage with people from, you know, it could be family members, people in your community, et cetera. And it's, it's, it's become stereotypical which is disappointing, right? You know, when you're talking about a public health crisis and, and what that looked like. Uh, I, I would say I'm not terribly optimistic that it's going to be eradicated because I'm thinking of like our flu shots and how successful they are. And as I talk to doctors and scientists in our community, I'm just thinking local folks, you know, folks at the university and, and what the success rate looks like there. And, you know, it's, um, we're not going to get something right out of the bat that's going to knock it out and life's going to be normal in a year or six months or not so I think the russians already have it yeah i saw that this morning that was a really good <laughs> yeah. 
Putin's got to figure it out. And of all the people you want to trust, he's the guy you want to trust. I'm sure I he'll know. be fine. I'm thinking like, what Russian products do we ever buy? <laughs> We're going to go to vaccine. <laughs> you, know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, I'm just saying, but uh, yeah, that, that's a, that's interesting bit of news, right? It's, it's like the space race. No, it's not really like the space race. <laughs> well, there's, there's, there's aspects of that, right? Yeah, but yeah, we'll we'll see. I'm sure we'll have I'm sure we'll have some vaccines coming up, and I'm I'm almost positive from the folks I've talked to that it's not going to be 100, percent and there'll be a failure rate involved. So I think we've got a new normal. As much as that term is, yeah. Robbie, Robbie, what do you think, sir? Well, you know, if we get rid of Trump, we get rid of a lot of misinformation, no. and. Uh, you know, an anti-science bias. And uh, I think we have a better chance uh, with no Trump and a vaccine. I think, you know, we can make more progress, way more progress uh, than uh, what we're doing now, which basically moonwalking backwards, you know, um, with this guy. Um, and, uh, I think that I think that's the key to it. It's like to get rid of this administration, which is like completely anti-science. You know, like uh, all he's interested in is his re-election and therefore and the economy. And the economy is not going anywhere if everybody's sick and and you know like scared to go outside. And uh, and then you got the yahoos who won't wear masks, uh, like Jim says, because uh, it's political or because they're. Uh, immortal you know like we we're talking about uh anywhere teenagers like anywhere from you know 15 to 25 year olds uh drinking beer in the pool um you know not that i those are my people i love them but come on you Robbie, know like I, i'm very curious uh, actually you mentioned earlier let's let's take back to when you when you were around like 1925 at Hay hayton ashbury actually um during that period of time you mentioned that you know, you know, you were living in San Francisco during that period of time. Can you tell us a little bit about, can you like reminisce for us a little bit about that time? Because I'm fascinated by uh, that period of time, the music and the hippie culture, you know, so I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Bless your heart. Bless your heart. <laughs> it is true. I mean, that's one thing with teaching. I've been teaching all my adult life at the university level. And, you know, when, when it comes up that I was in the hate and all that stuff, for some reason, people like you are really interested in that, and I'm very Look at grateful. This. this is all like <laughs> this is all like '60s, '70s shit right here. Okay. Yeah, yeah, they're into it. They're into it. That's so sweet, man. And you're not wrong. You're not wrong. I mean, from like, well, when we discovered that we were that it was the hate, and the character of the hate was like the beginning of '64, I'd say. And from 64 till the uh, summer of love, which was 67, it was actually, lovely. you know, it really was everything that you and your generation want it to have been. Uh, in fact, there, the way I put it is there was no no in our vocabulary. <laughs> you know, it just, it wasn't a word, you know, like, and, and, you know, in terms of, uh, well, first there's make love, not war, oh, but course. the love generation, the love generation, and in terms of like hooking up in those days, 
goes. You like art. <laughs> I like art. <laughs> it's like a, it's like a handshake almost back back in the day. I, I feel I feel like right. I my time. <laughs> kind of a full body shake. <laughs> no, I always okay. That's so funny. Let me ask you, Robbie, because honestly, I'm fascinated with the the '60s and the '70s, man. And um, you know, it all whoa, kind of blends. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa, the '70s. <laughs> Don't go there. Okay, one thing about one thing about the early '70s, like first of all, there was a recession, and there was the oil embargo and the crisis and all that. Uh, it was like the winding down of the terrible Vietnam War, and uh, and Nixon. You know, like all, all all that craziness after he got up from when he got elected to when he resigned. It was a terrible time. And the hate, the death of the hate was really sad, man. It was pathetic. You know, and um, it really breaks my heart. And um, I'm not going to tell you about it because you're so hopeful and such a lovely, sweet guy. But, oh, well, let's talk about like, the 60s yeah, then. Want- let's talk about this, this, the 60s <laughs> yeah, real quick then, it. all right? Because, uh, you, you know, like, okay, just real quick, because, you know, we tend to kind of like lump that, uh, especially like people from 2020, I mean, we lump that era into like, you know, uh, a, a time, you know, but especially, well, let's break down to just basically the, the period of time before the summer of love. I mean, um, if, if you're, <laughs> yeah, the, the time of, uh, the time of, uh, uh, the three uh stooges. three stooges there you go three the three stooges hey <laughs> teacher's holding a uh a, a mo you know so during that period of time i mean what was the music where they were listening to because what i imagine they're listening to like a lot of folk stuff right um kind of like uh uh i mean maybe maybe some like early like santana stuff you know, what was like kind of like the vibe going on there? I mean, if you walk into a party, I mean. Okay, here's here's the way it went. Like, so you, let's talk about the beatniks. And, yeah. and the, guy, the generation between the beatniks and the, the on the road generation. Like, so that's, that's the folk music generation. That's folk. That's like Bob Dylan down in the West Village and all that stuff. And, uh, and Pete Seeger, you know, with the activist stuff. If I hear one more Pete Seeger song, you know, I'm like, oh, he's fine. He's great. But like, I got that ever since I was a little kid. That's it for me. Um, you know, um, so uh, and that's just me. I mean, it was wonderful. But, you know, like I, I, I just I just got way too much of that. Enough uh, is enough. But and the folk scene was very progressive, you know, like post beatnik uh, hippie stuff. But Here's something for you, man. So in the hate, like there was a, a, a piece of uh, a strip called the Panhandle that came out uh, east from uh, the east uh, end of Golden Gate Park and went right through the hate. And there used to be free rock and roll shows there. Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, The Airplane, The Dead, every fucking body for free in the panhandle or in the park it was seen and uh, you know you want to talk about breathing air you know you (laughs) didn't have to bring any smoke 
everybody was everybody was getting stoned and it was just always in the air basically everybody was everybody everything was everything Donny <laughs> i love it that was, it was lovely you know like i mean you know you get inside it and there's all kinds of stuff that's wrong with it just like there's wrong with every scene sure you know, there uh, there are wonderful people everywhere there are not so wonderful people everywhere it's still you know a a a capitalist culture that it was a bubble in and it was penetrated by that. I mean, I knew the Grateful Dead a little bit. Uh, they weren't the sweetest guys in the world, you know, but there were <laughs> sweet people around them. And also, you know, like power corrupts. So, uh, yeah. you know, but so it was, free so love is not, is not a euphemism, <laughs> you know. It was, <laughs> no, I, you, you know, it's hang from that. Yeah, I feel like, you know, during that period of time, like people are literally going through like a sexual revolution because there's there was so much. I mean, in America, it's so oppressed. I mean, like uh, we're such a conservative puritanical culture, I feel like, you know, so during the 60s when psychedelic uh, kind of drugs broke out and that type of music and the, just that type of free thought broke out, I'm sure like uh, <clears throat> I always say it's kind of like uh, uh, it's kind of like today's rave scene when um, a lot of just counterculture were getting together, and then I being have being uh, you know a fan of the '60s um, and '70s during that period of time, and also kind of underground culture now. I can see a lot of the parallels actually of you know of uh, thoughts and drug use, and even even the the sexual freedom and stuff like that too. So, but like I said, it's always just kind of like a uh, I wish I was there kind of thing, I, you know, just to see it all, you know. Uh, must have been especially amazing. now you know, the administration we have in now there's so many lies you want to you want to escape from this shit <laughs> yeah yeah that's right but you know um uh, oh what was i gonna tell you uh well we were talking about the different types of music uh you, you, you know and let me just curious you know, so, okay okay yeah so the, here's the, like the dominant power structure was scared shitless of lsd Mm. you know and uh have you MDMA, which is you know like yeah yeah i wouldn't be like this if i had okay know, no i just like, i gotta have, i always gotta ask the hard question because a lot of times in the art world i feel like you know we're all kind of like it's a lot of like fancy people you know they don't have like riffraff like like me, you, you know what I mean? So I always want to ask those questions like, hey, like, uh, you know, because I, I actually, you know, I took an acid trip not too long ago, actually, you, you know what I mean? And it's crazy to me because uh, in the 60s and 70s, they didn't know the dosage. They were drinking acid like it was like shots, basically. You, you know, nowadays, oh God, we have like yeah. a little stamp <clears throat> and we put like one little drop on there and we stick it on our tongue and we're good for eight hours. So I can't imagine like back in the day... <laughs> they're howling about that one so you want to hear a story an lsd story yes let's hear okay, it so my, my, my best friend uh worked like at the avalon and um in la at the, at the ballrooms doing the the light shows right the light shows for those and uh stanley owsley the lsd guy the pure lsd guy would come around. His band was Blue Cheer. He actually uh, bankrolled Blue Cheer, the the loudest, the the craziest. Anyway, he would come to. But when he had a new mix, when he had just made some new a new batch of LSD, he would come to the ballrooms and hand it out to the staff. 
So my friend who was up in the light light show booth, uh, you know, they hand them out these little blue tabs, just little tabs, and um, they're doing their light show thing. And uh, my friend turns around and one of the people who uh, was in the support staff is sliding down the wall. And she, she, <laughs> she's, she's, one of these, she's sliding down the wall and she says, I can't feel my body. And you know what? That's a good thing. And, and, and so he says, I think I'll take half a tab. I think I'll take half. <laughs> and of course he did. But um, it, was, it was like that, you know, like before uh, the drugs got adulterated. You know, it's a really interesting too. I'd love to hear your thoughts on like, um, since we're on the LSD topic of like uh, the government yep. using LSD for um, uh, like different things like Operation in Midnight. Vietnam. Uh, yeah, in Vietnam and also Operation Midnight Climax. I mean, to be honest, like I think like, you know, being a person who has taken psychedelic drugs, it's really kind of just like, I would say, calm down my personality in, in terms of like, uh, help me relax on certain things that I couldn't let go of, you, you know what I mean? So I'm, I'm just really curious, like, what was your thoughts on, um, you know, the government experimenting with this kind of stuff? Like, because that's something like, an, as an artist, we kind of like enjoy and partake in, you, you know what I mean? What was your thoughts on that? Well, here, the way I like to put it is drugs work. You know, you have to respect them. I mean, I never really got it that my friends would, you know, take a tab of acid and go party. You know, like, okay, but it's a real world out there, you know, and you're opening yourself up to everything. Um, maybe you want to just go to the beach, you know, and groove on the surf at, or something. Uh, to, you know, be careful. And uh, they can be misused, you know, like, uh, I got a lot, a lot of those stories, but, uh, you know, they can be used for for good or be abused and and whoops and and the, the government you know like has its has its ideas of what it wants to do and what it wants to use like the defense department or something you know wants to use um uh psychedelic drugs you know to, to help soldiers in the field or something but also it could help you with psd deal with uh post-traumatic stress syndrome so, you know like you know what a drug does, and then it's just up to uh, whoever has it to use it, you know, in, in a constructive, positive way or not. And um, they can be abused, you know, like, like heroin. Heroin is great for stopping pain, you know. It's also great for getting people addicted and making a lot of money off of them, you know. Like, uh, <laughs> so, you know. Like the oxy Lakota, it's, it's just in a pill form basically these days, right? Uh, you, you know, you know. That's true. I just thought of that. Jim, that's true of art too. Art can be misused that way too. Um, you know, art can be used as propaganda, and um, it's a very powerful means of expression, and it can address address any subject really. Uh, you can make good art about almost any subject. You can make bad art about any subject. Check, take me, for example. But um, also, uh, it can be used for different purposes. You know, one, one, and, and um, one of the things that uh, has been a 
like one of the things I'm very concerned about with my own art is uh, that I not, with my art, which I, you know, is I want out in public and to address public issues uh, in public, uh, is not to try to tell people what to think. You know, that, I think that's hubris, you know, for an artist to make art with a goal of changing people's minds about uh, issues that are meaningful to them. Expressing yourself in public about issues that you care about, that's more like it. But um, kind of pushing people around with your art, which is possible. Uh, and, you know, some great artists have made fantastic propaganda. Some of the Nazi propaganda was fantastic. And then you get John Hartfield, who was a German who was anti-fascist, and he switched it up and made great uh, anti fascist propaganda you know it, it's power it can be very powerful and it can be abused uh, yeah so you know you're talking uh, about be the hotline to the sublime yeah you're talking about like nazi art during that period of time i think that's one of the most uh, uh clearly you know it's like art basically made for a specific type of propaganda basically it's really interesting too because you know you can see the films made during the nazi era um, you know, something I, I remember, I think one of the uh, Quentin Tarantino movies, it kind of like kind of showed like these uh, just super it's like a Nazi sniper kind of things going on and like killing all killing all the people. But then you see today time we have uh, American movies like American Sniper that are basically just kind of like glorifying our uh, our our wars across overseas, too. So you can see a lot of these like yeah. parallels basically during that period of time. And I think like we think that's so long time ago, you know what I mean? But it really wasn't that long time ago. I mean, uh, it was right before well, it was born, basically, you know what I mean? So uh, so so, yeah, it's, you know, just real interesting. One one more question about the 60s, Robbie. I, I just I'm just curious. Can I ask you? Um, were you were you a Beatles or a Stones guy or uh, you, you know who? How did these bands like during the time um, you, you know when they came on the scene? Like uh, you know you were like a young man basically, right? So uh, were you enjoying them? Yes. Like once so upon that, a time. Once upon Around a time. That time I was a young man. Yeah. Okay. So between the uh, that's a a good and classic question. You know, Beatles or Stones and. Uh, there was an Irish band, Van Morrison's band, before he became just Van Morrison, a band called Them. Mm, and yeah. uh, I like Them the best. Mm. I like the Rolling Stones better than I like the Beatles, and I get into a lot of trouble with a lot of my friends when they go off on, you know, crazy-ass Beatle jags. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> my wife finally convinced me that John Lennon was was a great rock and roller and and he was he was i recently uh, saw the stones um in pasadena actually i mean obviously this is before covid but i'm telling you man i mean they know how to put on a show you, you know and uh um it was at uh, uh the rose bowl which they had played last time i think they had played was in the 60s you know so uh it was just an amazing show man mick jagger man more power to him right after he had heart surgery put on like such a you know like i said he uh, i tell you if you really want to know, I'm more a James Brown and Otis Redding and BB King fan. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I knew James you had the Brown. soul. There in you, you, go. you know what Talk I mean? Talk about some soul. Hell yeah. <laughs> Actually, that reminds me. Um, 
I did uh, experiment um, a few times at, uh, with acid, with LSD, um, back in uh, high school and then a couple times in, in art school. And um, I just remember that because uh, during one of my uh, trips, I, I saw uh, some film of James Brown. <laughs> and don't you know, that was just the most amazing thing to watch, uh, tripping on acid, because I was just so inspired <laughs> by his his you know exuberance and just the energy and everything man i just i felt like i was james brown you know what i mean like i knew i was white um well i'm latin mostly latin but um you know i i felt like i was james brown after uh after the uh, the whole acid trip while watching him so it's, um, it's so, it's so but, funny that uh, how acid can like really change your mentality you're talking about a grateful dead before <clears throat> literally like the thing that everybody talks about is true i did not understand being like a fan of the 60s and 70s i mean like i never really got their music but one time i was like you know what? i was having an acid trip and i said i'm gonna turn it on and just kind of check it out maybe it'll be better and you know what from then on i understood <laughs> i understood it. <laughs> you know what i mean it was just very it was you know what this is how i explain it it was very relaxing to my brain uh, while I was on the acid trip, when many things are very loud and noisy and kind of not soothing when you're on acid because you need to find this like space of peace. So uh, when I turned it on, it's like very like la di da 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 kind of music, you know. And um, I don't know, like I said, ever since then, um, I've been a fan, man. So I learned a little bit more about them. But I think a lot of times it's a story and kind of like their whole following that kind of like really, really makes that band. It's not really so much they had any hit singles or anything like that, you know. But you know that that's Jim, just got a question for you. Ever experimented? I, you know, the, as you're talking, I'm like, man, I'm the odd man out. But I guess that's why I wrote the book. Uh, <laughs> Any acid stories in the book? <laughs> I I told Robbie. I mean, it's always interesting to sit shotgun with somebody and learn about their life, and you always feel like it's an honor. But um, I've always thought of us as like two opposite sides of a pole in many ways. Um, and, and so this is a weird detour, but Alistair McIntosh, the philosopher and writer, talks about activists and managers. And activists can act outside the system, and they can rebel, and they can do things um, that just kind of challenge the status quo. And Robbie's very much that. And where a manager is someone who works within the system and can get things done within a system. And I see that's how we are. And I, I just don't see... Doing, uh, doing acid or even drugs in general, because that's not something I do, but as something that's, um, that's connected to being a manager, because you got to work within these systems and you got to make them work, right? And you got to pull the lever. And it allows, you know, folks who live in different lifestyles to, to be those radical activists too, you know? So anyway, so that's, that's my academic take on that. And answer do we have any acid stories inside the book or do, do we cover some, at least a few new tidbits? There are stories in there. You will not believe that. Like I'm I sat down with Robbie and we'll, we'll open up like you, you start him going on a different time period or where he is in his life, living with a naked cocaine dealer. I mean, that was a weird story. I mean, there's all <laughs> things, things you gotta this book. Um, there to chase away suitors while she paints on the floor with three colors. Uh, anyway, so yeah, there's lots of stories. There's a story of him waking up in, um, in a place he was sleeping with gypsy children looking at his face. You know, it's, it's, there's all, there's, Man. Robbie's life crazy. 
uh, driving. I want to hear know. these uh, Picasso type stories, man. This, this is what I, I got. A quick question before you jump. Um, how long? Uh, how long did it take you start to finish to to write the book? Long time. I think we were just uh, three years. Three years. Three okay. years. I think it was a three-year journey for for the two of us. It's like being bitten to death by a duck. I am. I am. <laughs> Coming back for more, and it gets now, done. What is uh, where can people find this book? So it's a, yeah. So anywhere, find go to Robbie's website for one. That's a great place to go because not only could you get it autographed by Robbie, but you could Ooh. also buy. Uh, but yeah, you can also go to other online websites. But I would rather steer you towards Robbie and and get on his mailing list so you can be part of the Gorilla Army and all That's that. That's why I wanted to ask because I figure. Uh, that might be a a, um, a good uh, good way for people to you know get in touch with Robbie and maybe um, you know get some information from him occasionally. Um, I have, I got a, a question for you, Robbie. Um, so when how long was it before you had the first really big wheat pasting party? Like how many how many years had you put in before all of a sudden like just so people understand like it looks like LA has, has snowed. Okay. When, when, um, when Robbie does these pasting parties, okay. He'll find an image of, you know, the, the, the current, um, person that is, uh, you know, getting everyone's attention and needs to be addressed and he'll do an amazing painting and then they'll make thousands of copies and then he'll have the pasting party. All the, everyone will gather and get their copies and go out and distribute them. And they will, there's almost sometimes not a corner you can go past that you won't see uh, one of these pastings. So my question is, you had mentioned that, you know, the first time it was just you and this other guy, and then you maybe a little while after that, you have about a dozen or so, and at some point about 50. So um, is that what you're talking about? Like the, the 50 people or so? Like how long did it take you to get before you got enough respect that like people started showing up for these pasting parties. How many years did you put in? It just kept growing, um, uh, almost out of control. And, and I think 1988 was a very big year uh, for for me and and my my posters. And I think you know from uh, contradiction to contra cocaine um, to uh, George Bush senior it can't happen here to jim and tammy baker uh the televangelists um i did a lot of stuff in 88 and got and that's when i started getting more press and um we got quite a bit of press um i was coy about it but uh they found me and i knew they would um it's not like i was hiding i was just being cute um and uh in 88 i got a great Tigress mother lawyer too, which helped. Uh, so uh, that kept me out of jail. Um, but in 1990, um, we did a, a poster called Artificial Artificial, which is Jesse Helms, uh, the Senator from North Carolina, who at the time, and he started a culture war against us, uh, like you, me, and everybody we know. And uh, yeah, there he oh, is. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Oh, it's so and good. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. You, Jim, and, and we did a billboard. I pay. I actually paid. For, I did something 
legal. I paid for a billboard uh, in LA and it got taken down. It was up for seven days and it got taken down by the billboard company because they thought it might offend somebody. But there was so much uproar about that, like in the local papers and the New York Times covered it and uh, uh, the magazines, you know, like in Newsweek and stuff covered that, uh, that they put it back up and that got more coverage. And, and uh, I think, you know, like that's, that's the dream, like. Uh, ah, it, there we go. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. That's so awesome. So, and that was the hand-painted billboard that's like 49 feet long by 18, 19 feet high. I didn't paint it. Uh, uh, you know, a wonderful uh, billboard painter named Riley Forsyth did that in Sun Valley, which is one of the many armpits of LA. Um, and uh, so that, that got it kind of national, you know. Uh, and also like, it took me a while, like it took me about four or five posters to figure out, because I'm an idiot, that I could roll up these posters, take them on a plane, go to New York where my friends, you know, like all my friend artists had nothing to do. And uh, they had glue and brushes in New York and we could go out in New York and put them up. That's just a short train ride down to Washington DC, which is, you know, ground zero for most of my subjects. And once we started putting up in DC, it was like, whoa, crazy. And so I think what the, uh, the biggest crowd we ever had was for a Nelson Mandela poster that we did in LA. And it just happened to be uh, the night after the day he died. And we had 300 people at Cantor's and the cops showed up. Of course. Uh, they showed up at, at our meeting. And, and uh, it was like a sergeant and two uh, uh, beat patrolmen. And I just said to them, you know, like, what are you doing here? You know, like, and they said, oh, you're going to help too? We about this on the internet, you know, like, by then, uh, some of our people were sharing this on the internet saying, hey, we're going postering with Robbie, you know, why don't you come along and I guess they were monitoring it. It's like the olden days with J. Edgar Hoover and my parents, you know, like, except- It's easier uh, these days. This is after Daryl Gates, luckily. I had a very rocky relationship with Daryl Gates. Uh, you know, love-hate relationships? Well, get rid of the love part. Uh, <laughs> but, and I did posters about Daryl Gates and about LAPD, um, but um, this one was after, him and um, those guys just wanted us to know that they were watching us, you know, and they actually lit up the parking lot for us with their squad cars so that we could hand, hand out the posters. I mean, I don't think they meant to be uh, lighting. <laughs> and uh, that, that was outrageous. That, I got 86 from Canners for that one because we had so many people that people who weren't with us were just running out on their bills. You know, they have a hot pastrami sandwich or so. There's Daryl. Yeah, oh, wow. Taken out and shot. On uh, an NRA rifle target, you know, like, um, we could put uh, Wayne LaPierre on that right now. In fact, I'm, I'm doing Wayne LaPierre right now, the head of the NRA who spent $300,000 of the NRA's just money on Answer another one of my questions. Kids. So that's your next uh, victim? Yeah. There's this one. 
Uh, that's the next I was going to ask you about. Uh, oh, wow. I want to see yeah. that one behind it. Oh, well, this is uh, Bad News Barbie, which is Kaylee Mackinac. <laughs> and behind her is like our, our next real closer, which is the COVID idiot himself. Oh, that's amazing. Love that. We that's so prints. awesome. Yeah. We have little prints on the website of that one. Um, and we're giving, uh, you know, a percentage of the money uh, to Stacey Abrams for her voter campaign. Um, in, you know, like registering voters um, in Georgia. But, um, yeah, I'm, oh, Kemp, I'm interested. What an asshole Kemp is. Oh, my God. Sorry. Oh, yeah, Kemp. Yeah. I'm taking a, I'm I've taking done a look. all these guys. I mean, I'm taking a look on your website right now. Uh, um, it's just RobbieConal.com, basically, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. And real quick, I have to, since I have you here, I got to ask you another question about the 60s, Robbie, because <laughs> I, I just, I, I just <laughs> love that time, you know? <laughs> you know, so I saw this while I'm looking on your store right here, and, you know, you can just go in Robbie's website, RobbieConal.com. You can actually buy a bunch of his prints. But I saw one of uh, Andy Warhol, man. So I wanted to, uh, and it's copy brat right here. I'll just share it on the screen real quick. I, I just got to know the story behind this because, um, uh, you know, like I said, you, you were there during that period of time. And uh, uh, oh, that's so I awesome! Tell, I can't tell if this is a good guy one or a bad guy one because normally it's very clear that it's like, hey, this is a bad guy. Hey, this is a good guy. You know what I mean? But this is a pretty nice drawing of him. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on it uh, uh, real quick. You know, I'm such a fan of the 60s. It was a big painting, and uh, he's a little later than the 60s, to tell you the truth. I mean, he's like uh, late 70s, early 80s in New York, yep. which was sure. cocaine city. Um, sure. And uh, he's a bad guy. Yeah. He was yeah. a bad guy. Uh, not a good guy. And uh, the factory was an awful place. And, really? Um, yeah, really. Um, yeah, it's so crazy, because I always... I agree. <clears throat> I hear, like, these... You know, legend always has it for certain things, right? And then you yeah. hear all the, you know, you know, obviously the Velvet Underground, you, you know what I mean? And you hear all these like crazy, uh, you know, uh, cr- creativity coming out of the factory. But you're saying it wasn't uh, what the legend says, basically. Tell us your thoughts on that. Yeah, it, it was kind of, t- it was toxic. And, uh. Uh, you know, it did catch up with them. Uh, look what it did to Basquiat, you know. Uh, who was like a raw talent and Andy got him and, you know, got him in his web and got him hooked on all kinds of drugs and stuff. And, uh, you know, the, you know, the story about all the great rock and rollers who died at 27, yeah. you know, with, 27 uh, club. like Janice and Otis and like, uh, well, Basquiat was another one of them mm-hmm. died at 27. And, um, you know, but, and you, you, the more you dig into the factory and into the way the dynamics, the social uh, and socioeconomic dynamics of uh, that uh, basically exploitive culture, the worse it gets. So I would stick with your impression of it, you know, just so you stay safe uh, and enjoy. Because, he wants to keep uh, you happy. Happy, happy stories. It was not a pretty picture. Not a pretty no, picture. I know. I'm sorry. 
No, that's yep, great. I that's agree. good. Honestly, that's that's such good information to have because it's like, you know, like I said, a lot of times. Jim and I, we probably haven't. Have we? Jim? Yeah, say that again. Have we ever talked about that? About that, yeah. Of course, about we, we talked a little bit about Go ahead. What'd you say, Jim? We talk about the, the portraits a little bit in the book, uh, Pollock as well. Yeah, and then let's just, let's just end with this story right here, too, because. Pollock, I did as Dripaholic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and, uh, that's an earlier generation, and he was a al terrible alcoholic and an, another terrible person. Uh, yep. You know, like, not necessarily his, I'm not blaming him or anything, it just happens to be true. Um, yep. I agree. And, and these guys were, you know, like sexist, misogynist, all that stuff. It's sad. Uh, it doesn't mean you don't make great art, but it, it doesn't mean you're a wonderful person if you're a great artist either. So Very uh, the, only, the, the interesting with the early 80s in New York, for me, that's positive is Leon Golden and Nancy Sparrow. And that's in the book. You know, these my art mom and dad uh, who, uh, Leon Golub was probably the greatest uh, American artist of his generation who addressed political and social themes. And his wife was one of the greatest feminist artists of the same period, Leon Golub and Nancy Sparrow. And they kind of adopted me um, and helped me more than anybody else uh, to come up with uh, the, basically the, the signature style that, that uh, I'm known for most of and uh, they're wonderful to me and, and wonderful people and did really tough art, really tough art. But the funny thing about Leon, uh, he got very famous because he got mistaken for one of the new figuration artists in New York, um, like Eric Fischel and David Sally mm -hmm. and Julian Schnabel and all those guys who were active the same time Warhol was or just a little younger. Um, and uh, he really had basically nothing to do with them, but because he was a New York figurative artist uh, and just happened to be doing pictures of mercenary, giant paintings of mercenaries torturing people, um, he got caught up in that and, uh, and museums started buying his art with the mistaken idea that he was part of that movement. And he always laughed about that and said, you know, like, that's one of the best things that ever happened to me that these guys had no idea what the hell I was doing. Yeah. And, um, but that there is a part of the, of New York in, in the late seventies and early eighties that was very activist, uh, hands off South America and stuff you know, like, uh, stuff about Iran Contra, um, stuff, stuff about Noriega, um, stuff about Chile uh, and Pinochet and, and stuff about social justice. Um, so there was always that in New York as well. It's not like it's a monolith or not all terrible, but a lot of the, prop, a lot of the popular culture uh, mythology about, uh, you know, Warhol and the factory and uh, Maplethorpe and all that stuff uh it's pretty rugged once you get into it you know it's like nasty a stuff of uh i just pulled up how a... do you spell uh how do you spell leon's last name uh 
um, Robbie? G O L U B. G O L U B. Got it. I just pulled up here a, a, a poster from uh, Nancy Sparrow, actually. It's uh, Art Against Apartheid, 1984, the year of the South African Wow. Women. And I can see uh, um, what you're saying, how his, her art inspired you, you know what I mean? So it's, it's good to uh, uh, kind of hear it from the source. It's awesome. Well, one of the great stories about Nancy is that uh, she and Leon both did very angry art. Uh, for a long time, but she finally got tired of herself and had an epiphany and decided that she was going to change her art and do uh, a revisionist history of women uh, through culture and only positive images of women, starting with the Venus of Willendorf and moving through to the present. And she changed her art completely. Uh, she had been doing like images of helicopters dropping shit on people um, and, and napalm and stuff like that and really horrific imagery. And Leon changes art too in the sense that he started with the monster school in Chicago where these were all uh, Vietnam, uh, like, not Vietnam, like World War II vets who went back, came back from the war and went to school on the GI Bill, went to art school. They had horrific experiences, and they started making these uh, kind of abstract, semi-abstract, figurative works of uh, conflict and uh, and big heads of uh, kind of nasty, tortured imagery. And uh, but it was pretty much abstract. And uh, when the Vietnam War was happening, they had three sons. And when they became war, uh, a war age, uh, like they could get drafted and stuff, Leon changed his art completely in like 1967 and started making these giant paintings, uh, very realistic of U.S. troops with tanks and stuff moving in on um, Vietnamese villagers. And he and Peter Saul were the only two major American artists who were addressing uh, the Vietnam War critically at that time. And uh, then he ended up doing these uh, riveting giant images of mercenaries um, yeah. torturing people in dungeons and stuff. And like, just incredible. Those are the ones that are in the history books and you typically see in modern art history class. But awesome. I, hey, I want to make people know that there is a great story and we won't get into it now of Robbie and um and 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 about these interactions and how instrumental these two folks were towards the work that he produces today is it, it's pretty cool there's a series of interactions that they go through that it's kind of magical yeah. well I've, I've written these names down I'm going to be doing some research now because I'm, I'm curious and I'm always learning. So thank you. Thank you so much, Robbie, uh, for- I know you guys got to awesome run because you guys got another appointment. But um, yeah, thank you guys so much again. And it's always a pleasure talking to you guys. It's so much a wealth of knowledge, guys. And uh, thank you for hanging out with uh, you know us dummies for a little bit and uh, you know- Truly the guys that I have most respect for in the world, man. Thanks guys, I appreciate Definitely. it. Definitely. Well, thank appreciate you. Again. 
Just remember, it's all Jim's fault. It is my fault. It's all Jim's fault. He wrote the book. That's how it goes. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. No problem. To the audience, love you guys. Take care and peace. Peace, love, all that stuff.